0: And welcome to the Hard Reset Podcast. I'm...
1: <laughs> so I said, you said Ard. I was like, what, a f- pirate show? Ard Reset, Reset did I did not say the Ard Reset. <laughs> yeah, you Hard.
0: did. Ard, mateys. <laughs> <and> well- <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Tequila shot was good. It's a great idea. This is Hard Reset, a series about rebuilding our world from scratch. Okay. Reels use this time. Hello and welcome to the Hard Reset Podcast. I'm Nicholas Tucker and I'm here with Taylor Hamilton. Hello. We are the co-creators of Hard Reset, which is a show on FreeThink about how would you rebuild the world from scratch. We're joined by Rob Chapman Smith. Hi, I'm the editor in chief of Freethink.
2: And Toby Morishano. Hey, I'm the community manager at Freethink.
0: For this episode of the podcast, we really want to talk about our episode on VR and theme parks and how using technologies like VR could help us rethink the whole idea of themed entertainment. Stick around. We're going to dive into some of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about in this episode. And we're going to dive into your questions, your comments, and try to address the things that we missed. So make sure you like and subscribe so we can spam you with more content. For this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about World Builder, which is a software put together by Michael Libby, which uses VR to prototype theme parks. We're also really just going to be talking generally about what themed entertainment is and what VR is and how it's going to impact the way we interact with reality and with these sorts of experiences. It's a great episode. If you haven't seen it yet, please click in the description below, there's a link to the original episode of Hard Reset, so you can check that out. Um, The summary essentially is that by using VR to prototype these rides, they can make it a lot easier for people to design them. But that also opens up all sorts of new doors for how we might think about themed entertainment and why it's important to have themed entertainment. And now that we have the technology to start making more of these immersive experiences more ubiquitous, Will that change our relationship with reality and with how we present ourselves as characters within it? So it's a really fun episode and it digs into some of these really cool metaverse questions that I think we're all really going to have to start wrestling with in a really real way very soon.
2: What Michael is doing is creating a virtual reality software so that people who are designing theme parks can actually walk through them and see all of the components and live through the experience before it's actually built in place.
0: Right. Yeah. And what his software does that a lot of others don't do is that it isn't just, hey, let's map out the ride and the experience, but it's integrated in a way that respects the the contractors who need to be installing those walls and those plumbing mains and those electrical conduits and allows all these different disciplines to work from the same set of blueprints and plans and not arrive on site and be like, well, why is there a wall here? It's supposed to be there. Like, it just allows everyone to sort of be on the same page. In addition to go through and going through the experience and creating a digital twin of it where you can have a VR experience, it's just a, a coordination tool. And I think it's a really fascinating piece of software. One of the things we often would talk about with these projects was why is this a hard reset? What makes this a hard reset? So I'm curious from your perspective, what is the answer to that question?
1: Well, I think there's actually two parts to the, this episode. And let's start off by talking about the part that I would not consider a hard reset, which is the stuff that Michael's doing with World, World Builder. Now, I should say, I went to high school with Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Um, but, you know, I, and I remember in, like, college or post-college that, you know, you talk with your friends. You're like, oh, what are these people up to from high school and da 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 And it was like, Michael's working at Disneyland on the Jungle Cruise. And you're, like, expecting people to be, you know, doing internships at, like, law firms or whatever. And it's like, okay, he's he's working he's working the Jungle Cruise. Like, what's, what's his angle here? And then, you know, come to 10 years later, and he's really invested in, you know, thinking broadly about what a theme park is and how you actually make it. And I really like architecture and building and all this other stuff. And I think one of the things that he opened my eyes to was this whole notion of – in a theme park, in an amusement ride, it's not a simple thing anymore where you can have like a track and you can have some really beautifully designed set and like the car just kind of moves through it. Mm -hmm. You have so many pyrotechnics. You have so many screens that are in here. You have so many acoustics. They're just this coordination of different events that have to happen in order for you as the rider to have this really dazzling event happen to you. And it has to happen for every ride, right? Every single time. And the fact is that the person that does the pyrotechnics is not the same person that is gonna be like, you know, making the the cars, like, but they all have to work together seamlessly. And right. so how do you do that? And that's really what this technology helps everyone to really do. Let's visualize what this is all going to look like when it's in concert together. Let's be able to move like the car or the dragon or whatever else around in order to really prototype before we spend literal billion dollars Actually making this thing happen, and that coordination of events is super interesting i don 't know if there are any uh, roller coaster tycoon fans out there like old school <laughs> video game um, but this is like that to you know a level that people are actually really using it um, well,
0: I think it's interesting you talk about all the different technologies on the physical side, but there's also the digital side where more and more of these rides are becoming very personalized so that right. if you are going through the galaxy's edge experience and It's going to track your data through that whole experience. And so your score from these flying rides is going to be something that follows you throughout the park and changes your experience. And so it's not just prototyping and testing and coordinating the physical construction, but it's also how do we write the back-end software that will start to drive some of these physical interactions as well. So it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that Disney in particular did, you know, 10 plus years ago was they, they really started to think about their next generation park experience to where, you know, originally they were thinking about the park experience as something that happens when you walk into the park and then ends when you leave the park. But it's like the park experience is much broader than that, right? People are having these experiences with like booking the, the tickets to actually go there and like the photos that come afterwards. And so they started doing these magic bands and you can like say which rides you want to go to at what time, and then you're wearing these magic bands. And so when you're entering the park, you have an RFID tag that you're wearing that is unlocking all these experiences for you in the park itself. Mm -hmm. So that when you're going to these rides, it's even more personalized. But that just, ideally for you as the rider, is making that way more magical. And, you know, I think it's a big deal because if you're, you know, flying across the country to Florida and you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars and your kid really wants to see that Disney princess. Mm -hmm. Like, at that point, like, that costs... That's very important to you. Like, that's what you're spending the money on and, like, all this technology is allowing you to have that really magical experience happen. But I think one of the things that Michael you know, was really interested when he was in school and when he was an Imagineer at Disney was thinking about video games and how are we bringing in the philosophy and tactics of video games Mm -hmm. into the physical world, right? And that actually does bring us to the part of this where I think it is a hard reset of what do we, when you say theme park, like what does that really mean? Right. Right. And where is that experience stop and start? And you look at like the biggest movies in the world and they're all pretty much fantasy movies at mm-hmm. this point. And you're able to, you know, you think about something like Star Wars, where like when we are growing up, it's like, it's three movies and none are ever gonna get made again, right? And so like,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got the Holy Trilogy and that's it. And now there's, I can't even count how many television shows and there are these different worlds. And there's like this whole fan community that is around that. So you can live an entire life immersed in a Star Wars world. And that's kind of the goal for I think a lot of people, and also like a lot of these companies are trying to create this like end-to-end fully immersive experience. So you're like, what is a theme park? Is it confined to
2: these like relatively small physical spaces? Yeah, that is the hard reset here. Yeah. I'll also say, you know. We talk about hard resets in terms of civilization but in terms of like something say the construction industry this could be something that is a hard reset for that i mean if you're thinking about we're redesigning how we're going to build everything in our worlds with today's technology it would be a no-brainer i think to have a vr simulation of your office park or your redesigned park or you know um I don't know, your streetscape, for example, so that you can walk through it digitally before you actually start putting down pavement and, and wires. You know? People
3: are doing that. Like con- con- uh, virtual reality for construction companies is a very real thing. Vir- uh, digital twins for things like airports are very real things. So like there are very practical versions of this that in another context would feel a little bit more hard resetty than it does in the theme park world. But right. I think in the entertainment world, you're we're so used to... Doing things ahead of time with like previs and whatnot, that it's like, oh, this is old hat in in this uh, sort of industry where it's not old hat in the construction spaces. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that where
1: we're trying to go to is where that line between reality and yeah. non-reality are, are are very blended. Like I think about some technology like Matterport, right, which is used a lot with. Real estate. And so, you know, you go into like an open house, they'll take like a bunch of pictures of it. And so then when you're like looking up that listing later on online, you can do a 3D fly through and walk through. Mm -hmm. I will say having done this a lot and then going into the actual house itself, it is a very different experience. Mm -hmm. Totally even though it is the same photographs like it's it's the same thing mm-hmm. but the physical experience of like walking through is different mm-hmm. but all this stuff is going to get better and better to where it's like i don't actually need to go to that house anymore right. like i actually know what this is going to really feel like when i can step into there
0: yeah i agree with you that world builder as a software package unto itself didn't feel like a hard reset but it felt like it touched on all these different things that are sort of being hard reset by these technologies whether it's construction and planning whether it's themed entertainment and how we create these fictional universes it seemed like a great way to enter into all these different things and he you know it was just a great window and all this, this really cool stuff. Yeah, and we should
1: say that we actually completed this episode before the metaverse and all that stuff had even yeah. been talked about explicitly. In the mainstream. In the mainstream, but, you know, we've been thinking about this for, for quite a while, right?
3: Yeah. yeah, I was actually, when I rewatched the episode, that was the thing that struck me the most, was that I don't think we mentioned the word metaverse in the episode. It, it was not like a word right, at mean, this point yeah.
0: well it wasn't a commonly word yeah. i mean there were people like in the know like like it was in snow crash snow crash and for for a long time but not many people had, had read that book so I, I think it's just not a popular term um and not many people were playing second life anymore so i don't think it was something a lot of people were <laughs> super aware of but yeah it's it's it, it has become more commonly known dramatically in the last Two years.
3: It's clear that things like what we see in this episode are going to continue to happen, oh, yeah. whether you call it a metaverse or shared experience, or whatever, that is a future within the entertainment world. And people are going to be experiencing these things, whether through headsets or not.
2: Yeah. So it's really interesting actually reading the comments. Um, And one thing that comes up is that people totally conflate the company meta with the idea of a metaverse, which is interesting. Maybe it's a good branding perspective from from their perspective, but it's also definitely like lowered the perception of its quality in the mainstream. Um, It's also interesting, you talk about Second Life that comes up a lot um, and people talk about like, well, people are already living in multiple worlds. If you think of like World of Warcraft or something like that, or these other digital worlds that people are inhabiting. And it really, made me think of, like, our perspective on this is very anchored into what, depending on what category we, we put it in primarily. Like, if we think about it as a metaverse thing, we might be more skeptical. Right, right. If we think about it as, you know, a tool for building a physical thing, we might think, okay, that could be a useful tool. And when we call it virtual reality, we often have people in the comments who are like, virtual reality always stinks. It's never as good. And that makes me think, but, like, it's better than, like, World of Warcraft, right? right? Like, if we think of it as a better video game experience, mm-hmm. maybe that's the right way to frame it. Maybe framing it around an alternative to reality is inhibiting it because people know it's never going to be quite right, and it's so it's kind of in that uncanny valley or something like that. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that's all true. And I think that it's, it's one more technology from architecture, to TV, to movies, to books that allows us to sort of enter into a very different world. Whether in, And it's just a very different set of tools being used to create that frame of mind. But this is something we have been doing for thousands of years. That need will never go away. And I think you're right that if we call it virtual reality, it sounds like a fake version of something we already have. Mm-hmm. But it's not really meant to be that. And I, think, I also think that because it's a nascent technology, it hasn't really... You know, the language of VR hasn't really been established yet. It's still mm-hmm. figuring out. Like if you look at early movies, it's like it's just a single shot of like a cowboy shooting a gun at you mm-hmm. or like somebody feeding a baby or an old man staring at you. You're like, okay, <laughs> thanks. That's great. Because they didn't know how to use movies. Right? Mm-hmm. Like someone had to invent the edit. Someone had to invent the special effect. Someone had to invent um, dialogue for movies. Mm -hmm. And, like, no one had done that yet. And that's where VR is at right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, of course it sucks right now in so many (laughs) ways because it's trying to do what movies do but in a VR setting. And that's bananas. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not going to be good at that. You wouldn't use a cinema camera to, you know, take a photograph You would take, you know, they're very different tools and they're going to have different advantages. So I think that's also what what part of that rejection is. We're just using it wrong and we won't know how to use it until more people use it. One of the things that Michael talks about is creating these digital twins of these theme parks so that you can have that at-home experience that mirrors your in-the-park experience. And Disney has done this with Galaxy's Edge where they have a Tales from Galaxy's Edge a VR experience you can use on the Oculus or, sorry, the MetaQuest Pro, whatever it is now. It's a weird rebranding, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But you can do this at home where they have most of that land digitized and you can go through and experience it. And I think that's something that's going to happen more and that's something that he's positioning the software to help enable. There's a real question of, like, is that as fun as going to the real Real theme park? Does it give you the same experience? And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I haven't done the Galaxy's Edge experience at Disney World, so it's hard for me to say. But I'm curious what you guys think about, like, is this something that you see as a viable, scalable alternative?
3: Well, I don't view it as an, as an alternative. It's just another option versus what else you would be doing at home. With a lot of VR experiences, we try to compare it to actual, the thing that you would be doing if you were going to do it versus it's what else would you be doing if you were sitting on your couch. Right. And that's the real uh, trade-off, and it's probably better than some other things you would do mm-hmm. by sitting on your couch. It's also worthwhile to mention the MetaQuest 2 specifically has sold more units than Xbox, has. It is a very, very popular piece of technology. And so there's lots of people that can go and do that Galaxy's Edge experience versus, you know, playing some other video game or watching something on Netflix that might be more fulfilling for them and more engaging. So I do think it's a viable option, but I I would stray. I I do think virtual reality in the ways that we compare it to quote unquote reality is it's a little bit odd. Right. One of the parts about World Builder,
1: the software that's really interesting is that a lot of what it is actually trying to do is to figure out how to maximize throughput. Right. Mm-hmm. So a ride success a lot of times comes down to how many people can you get through that ride in an hour. And so do you need all the cars to have four seats or six seats or eight? And what does that do for anything you can do to make it like a really fun experience? And Michael's point with regards to VR is like throughput is infinity. Right. You mm-hmm. can have as many people going through this thing as possible or as much as your servers can handle, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, down the line as these experiences get better, when I think about a, a theme park, the thing that sucks are the lines, yeah, right? And so if you can have these experiences be something where you can just like go, you can stand in line for maybe five or 10 minutes, but then you're going through it, like it makes that experience that much better.
2: right? I think you both took the words out of my mouth, really. (laughs) Um, uh, First of all, yeah, I think sometimes we ask the wrong question, which is at what point is this technology going to replicate this experience? And maybe what we should be asking is at what point is this going to be fun? Yeah. You know, once it's fun, I'll do it. It doesn't have to be that other experience. And two, something I saw in the comments a lot. Once you had people who were like, "Oh no, it's not going to be as good at theme park. I need the the, the visual experience. I want to feel that rush of air on my um, you know face on the roller coaster or whatever. You know, oh, I, mean, st- I want to hear the child screaming next to me, <laughs> me and
0: then slip on the vomit next to the yeah oh, yeah goodness. yeah.
2: Literally, someone was like, I go to the theme park and I love seeing all the different people. And I'm like, do you? (laughs) Is that why people go to Six Flags? I (laughs) enjoy seeing many of the people. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: think the people are a big part of it. I mean, I think a lot of this, I mean, especially Disney is really banking on this, is the nostalgia that like, I remember when I did the teacups and now I'm going to take my son or daughter and they're going to do it. And it just becomes this legacy thing. And I'm curious about with video games, what the nostalgia is there. So if I think about the video games that I grew up with, like Mm -hmm. dating myself, but like GoldenEye was the thing, Mm -hmm. right? But when I think about GoldenEye, it's who I was playing with, yeah, Yeah. right? The game is fun, I love Oddjob, all that stuff. But like, it is the fact that I was being able to play with my friends and see and interact with them in that kind of way. Does our brain remember and care about things the
2: same way that are virtual? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I, I think that really ties into is that You know, we have CDs at home. We can listen to music at home, but we still go and see concerts, right? We have sometimes the same, like types of media that we consume in different ways. And I like that you're that- still listening to things on CD. I appreciate that about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself. You had golden eye I. I had CDs. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying though, right? And actually sometimes something another person who works at FreeThink, um, Cliff, he, he's oh, yeah. on the publishing team. But one thing he told me that stuck with me, he's a musician. And he said, one thing you have to realize is people don't go to concerts to hear music. 100%. Right? They go to concerts to have a good time with their friends. Yeah. Right. So to me, when I was listen- when I was watching this episode, when I was reading the comments, it made that sort of click for me. I was like, I think I go to theme parks to have fun with my friends, but there's a lot of elements that aren't great. You know, there's the, the cost of tickets, there's the lines, you know, I don't go there all the time, but if I could just go and have a fun experience at home instead yeah. of doing whatever else I was gonna do that evening, I might for sure do that, you know. I
3: I think the one area where the—I mentioned, like, we shouldn't compare it to the thing in real life. The one area where it really breaks down, that point I made, is with sporting events. And Mm. VR sporting events, live sporting events, is actually kind of crazy. Yeah. Because you can get so much closer to the action. Most people are never going to be able to afford a ringside or a courtside seat because those things are stupid expensive. But you can get the feel of that pretty close with some of these VR experiences. The NBA did a really good job during the pandemic and afterwards of doing like the courtside NBA VR. The UFC is doing it with fights now. And it's like actually kind of great compared to what else you would do. And like, if you've been to a live sporting event, they're fun, it's awesome with the crowd, but also if you're not paying through the nose, you're in the nosebleeds. And like that shit kind of sucks. Like when LeBron James is a little Sprite, like (laughs) on the court, (laughs) right? And you paid like, Couple hundred dollars for that ticket in the nosebleeds. So that's an area where like VR might actually surpass depending on where you are and like. Even what city you're in, because not all cities are great sports cities. So, uh, Rob is from Philadelphia. But yeah.
0: <laughs> can, can you throw a virtual uh, r- brick at a football <laughs> <that> player? <way. laughs> I mean,
3: from the stands. <laughs> we can try and invent that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How will Philadelphia fans really recreate that experience?
3: Actually, that's true. Philadelphia booing is, is hard to replicate in, in <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're kind of assholes, but it's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think also, like, there's a whole esports side. That of it too, for sure where it's like oh if you can watch your favorite sports team what can you watch your favorite esports player and be all over their shoulder as they're doing these competitions i think that sort of opens up all sorts of interesting you know doors for people to observe and experience these things in ways we could never do before
3: yeah
0: 100% one of the things i would like to talk about is impact at scale mm. and One of the things that I think is very interesting about VR is that the prices come down so much to have a very decent headset that can do a lot of things, but it doesn't seem to have quite taken on the impact that I would have expected. And I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are about the potential for impact of this technology
3: in the next couple of years. For me, it comes down to the form factor it's still a bit clumsy. Hmm. And so like putting something on your head kind of sucks. And then when you're doing the experience, there is very real chance that you're going to run into a wall. (laughs) actually some of my favorite social media videos is like the people who are playing like the NFL VR experience for the first time they go and hype the football and they straight up just run into their wall and and but like there's when you put these headsets on if you have never put one on it really does trick your visual system and you're you're, you have to balance a bit Mm -hmm. but if it's a little bit too good at fooling you there and at some point I think people don't want to have that burden versus like some of the lean back experiences you get with other sort of interactive media so I think that's part of the Reason why, even though it's popular in itself, sells, it hasn't really broken through in a weird way because mm-hmm. there's like this. There's still some of these barriers to having it be, I would say, bingeable right. in the way that other activities can be bingeable. And if it's not bingeable, then mass adoption at scale and cultural influence is really hard.
1: Right. This is the episode that scares me the most. When really, I about <laughs> long-term impact. Interesting, because I do think that the technology will. Get better and it will become more seductive and it just invites a desire to live in a virtual world right and I you know I look at all the rise of social media and so much technology and remote work and all that kind of stuff but you also look at the rates of like depression and loneliness and all these other things are also rising and I do think that there's some correlation there like we humans are just we're a little crazy we're all (laughs) and there are some base core things that I think we really value and one of them is community whatever that that means to you but and and I, I appreciate virtual technology because you can form communities that are, are really different I mean at Freethink it's a remote work company right that's mm-hmm. how it started off like you and me like met three times in person the yeah. entire time that I was working at Freethink, right? But it's like, we had like a real relationship even though we're on opposite coast and like you couldn't have a company like Freethink 20 years ago doing things in the same way that it was doing it. But I do think about at scale, if you're not connecting with people enough in a physical space, in a real, like you can actually see you, touch you sort of way, it's different. Think about the the difference between a conversation with your best friend that happens Over
0: the phone versus you're at a bar talking. Mm. Do you think this is generational, though? Because I look at how Mateo interacts with a lot of his friends very much. He has a real-life connection to them, but he also spends a lot of time working because of the pandemic. You know, they play games together over FaceTime and a lot of things like that. So he has the friends, these friends that he's connected with uh, through that. More so than he does in the real world. Some of them actually have moved out of state. And so, uh, and, and for him, I don't think there's as much of a seam between those f- FaceTime interactions and those real world interactions. I mean, my question back to you is
1: Is that a good thing? I'm not saying that you can't achieve that. I'm not saying that people aren't doing that. I'm asking Is that a good thing? And I look at some of these echo chambers, I look at some of these like stats that are, you know, pretty troubling when it comes to mental health and I think about what are the correlations there.
3: Are, are you worried yeah. about the extremes more so than anything else, or are you worried no. about? Okay. I'm worried about just what happens. Just, you know, lockdown was
1: right. really traumatic for a lot of people, you yeah. know? The, the thing I always, <laughs> like the, the joke some comedian said was the worst place in the world for most people when you think about it is jail. The only place that's worse than jail is solitary confinement. Right. Right? right? I'd rather be around rapists and murderers than to be by myself in (laughs) a (laughs) room. And yes, being in a virtual world and putting on VR and feeling like you're around someone is creating some level of, like, anti-loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. And you're you're feeling some level of community there. But I don't know. I think humans are kind of hardwired. It's hard to resist the notion of, like,
3: Yeah, yeah. I I see what you're saying, and and I I do think it's right, because, like, in the early 2000s and probably a little bit into the 90s, there was a phenomenon in Japan called the hikikimora, Mm. uh, which was basically shut-ins. Like, young men were, like, basically terming in the modern day hermits. And it was like, there's a huge um, worry around Japan about like this phenomenon of just men being lonely in houses and just like saying F culture and all types of things. A lot of it, it was related to digital culture, video games and things like that. China has had a huge emphasis on video game addiction, specifically for like shut uh, shut in and like uh, away from culture and society and people. And I do think that is a problem. But at the same time, I look at like, the communities of people who are a little bit weird, who don't fit in to society in the normal ways, lots of like trans communities, for example, and they're just able to find their tribe so much more easily online. And, and so it's, I, I feel like, yes, we should worry about that social stuff, but there's also, I, I, I wonder how much of the net benefit is hidden uh, for these types of virtual communities, because like they're really siloed and often weird places like that, um, and how much of the like the worry for people being less social is really on like the like heteronormative folks who mm. like can go outside and easily find their for, their tribe, versus like the folks who can't find their tribe at all right. and and as as easily out in the like meet meat space. So, I
1: think that there are a lot of things that define one's personality that's and, and interests. And I don't think it's a either or. I think it's a yes and. Right. And so I think that virtual communities should absolutely be there in order right. to connect with part of your tribe. But you should also get along with your neighbor. Right? Right. <laughs> like, fair and, point. Fair and and fair kind point. of know who those people are. Right. And there is like a flocking to cities that is part of a desire for people to like brush up against one another and be able to know those
0: those places, sure those point. people. But but, I, but the point, the problem you're 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 identifying. Is and I think there is a v- huge virtual component to it. That part of this is the online, but a lot of it also is the way we build cities. A lot of it is the way we build transit. A lot of it is the way we even build our workplaces. A lot of it is a lot of those problems are reinforced in the real world before they occur in the in in the in the virtual world. You know, like I'm thinking about like in San Francisco, that the buses where you have basically a, like almost like a like an insulated tube from Silicon Valley to San Francisco, where a lot of tech workers just never really interact with the people in their own neighborhoods where they live because they're sort of like shuffled away and down to Mountain View and then come back up to San Francisco over the evening. And I think that's a really... uh, I think, I don't know, I think that there's there's physical manifestations of this as much as there are virtual.
1: Sure, but I think when I look at the trends of what is getting hard reset and what are the other right. pl- people and communities and entrepreneurs, what are they making? The things that they're making are not that, right? It is like the San Francisco tech community is being like, you know what? We don't want to be all the way down in the peninsula. We want to actually have our offices in San Francisco right. and be able to have like larger, I mean, this is the whole mid-market movement.
0: Right. So what or if, if you work for Twitter, you can just sleep in your office.
1: <laughs> <laughs> work hardcore. So, when we think about the, the founding of America, right, and Declaration of Independence. Not expecting
3: all, you to <laughs> come
2: on. <I'm>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Four score in seven years. The flag <laughs> is going to
0: lower down behind us.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We need like a. To a, America. We need an Abe Lincoln hat, like just boom, to put boy. on top of you. Right? Boom, um, boom, yeah,
1: but. Boom. Sorry. Yeah, but we're kind of idealistic about these sorts of things, right? Sure. And I think I've heard a, a host of articles or read a host of articles that have talked about part of the reason that this came about was that uh coffee shops were starting to become popular mm-hmm. so instead of people being at bars and being drunk they started to go into coffee shops where they were you know like not drinking alcohol and were caffeinated but also mixing and hanging out more right. and so the reason that a lot of these ideas were able to prosper was because people were like meeting in coffee shops what i'm curious about is like what are those coffee shops in the virtual world, mm. how are those being created? And then beyond the virtual world, like wh- what's the, like the goal here? Right. Like, and part of the goal for me is
0: like the planet living, Right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you raise a really good point. And I think that conversation is really important. One of the things I've believed about the internet for a long time that I don't think most people understand or believe is that I think the internet is primarily a one-way communication device. It is intended to be two-way, but I think most people use it as a way to shout what they think at others. There's there's a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. And I think that kind of contributes to it because in a coffee shop, there are natural human incentives for you to listen and respond and empathize with other people, whereas everything is sort of you know, abstracted into a profile photo and, uh, you know, an American Eagle photo next to it that lets me sort of like prejudge what your political beliefs and identity and tribe are. And so it makes it easier for me to be like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. And I think that has been missing. And in a way, actually, I think virtual reality has the opportunity to correct some of that. I where agree. We can have more of these things where you're like, oh, I see your ex- micro expressions and your eye cicades, so I understand you're getting bored and I need to listen and you know, wrap it up and, and let you talk now. And I think that's important, and if we can bring that in, that would be a net benefit. I hope that things like face and eye tracking and sharing your expressions over VR could potentially help diminish some of those problems in these virtual worlds.
1: I agree with that, and I think that that will definitely happen. The thing that I get really concerned about is we are living increasingly in echo chambers, very much brought on by social media and the proliferation of media outlets and all this other stuff. This, to me, only has the potential of increasing that. And you have people that are like, you know what? I just want to live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. 24-7.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> and like, and you could
1: do that. And, like, I dig Marvel. You know what I mean? I, I like it. But if you are only in that universe, what happens to your connection with reality, with other people's realities? And what are a bunch of the ills that will be created from that? Right. And I... And I I'm worried because I think that there will be more harm than good.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is—it's. I think one of the best things about this topic is that it's incredibly messy and it's very unclear where it will go. So, like, there was a really interesting paper recently that uh, dug into internet echo chambers, and it found that the worst aspects is when people leave those echo chambers, mm. not the fact that they're in them in the first place. It's when the when when the echo chambers clash with each other that creates the most tension online. Mm. That's fascinating as a thing. And so it would be, maybe it'd be great if we didn't have those echo chambers, or but maybe the echo chambers are saving us from the worst of the things that would be <laughs> happening online. And, and when I think about the community aspect of what you all, well, y'all were talking about, one of the things that is special about video games is that as a multiplayer ph- phenomenon, it encourages people teaming up and c- talking and creating these social aspects. That's why you have Discord chat rooms that are all around gaming and things like that. So I, I think... As this technology develops, we're going to see a lot of really interesting things. We're going to see new ways of humans interacting with each other in in ways that we didn't think possible at scales that we didn't think possible and just in, on, in points of emphasis that we didn't think possible. I'm not sure what's going to be good or bad. I think some of this is going to look like Minority Report where it's Tom <laughs> Cruise sitting there just lo- like looking at his own memories and torturing himself. <laughs> and some of it is going to be people getting married and have never met in person. Yeah, and right. to the extent that it's one versus the other, I'm not exactly sure.
0: Right. Well, and we covered another VR story about... Uh, t- these two folks who were building a VR world, and one of the one of the founders got married to his wife at, in real life and in VR because they met and played a lot online, yeah. and so they had a wedding in the, uh, their virtual world for their friends that were parts of their virtual lives, yeah. uh, as well as a wedding in the real life. And I think that's I think we'll see more of that. <music> Toby, I'm curious what the audience thought of this. I'm curious what were some of their questions or comments or things that they felt that we didn't address well.
2: Well, we have a lot of these same themes coming up. It's, it's a great conversation, and there's definitely a lot of people who think, like, uh, this is unhealthy in some way. You know, are people going to check out of the real world and just live in this, and is that where we want to go? And I think, you know, it's going to be messy. It's, it's going to be better for some people. It's going to be, you know... Maybe worse for others. And, you know, I am I, always a, a person who's optimistic about these things. And I'm like, you know, I go to coffee shops and I talk to way more people online than I do in coffee shops. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, you see at scale that there are these mental health effects. You know, even as we have more conversations, even as we meet more people, probably during a, an average day, mm-hmm. it doesn't fulfill us. Sometimes I feel like, you know, when, when, I, when we went into remote working and stuff like that, I was doing all the same similar parts of my job and meeting my same friends, but it felt sort of like instead of eating food, you're having the vitamins. You know what I mean? You're having <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the Toby vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you're getting somehow the, the the some of the parts isn't as great as the whole. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so part of me hopes that like, you know, with the new technology that these companies recognize it as a problem and they try to solve it, yeah. you know, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, we'll see. They're not going to try to solve it.
1: No. <laughs> they're, they're not incentivized at all to do it, right? right. I think it, at the end of the day we'll come down to people, consumers that choose how they want to do that. I mean, I'm encouraged by like my cousins who are, you know, young teenage girls and they're just like, they've seen all the ills of social media in terms yeah. of like their friends and stuff and they're like, I deleted all that stuff, I read books and I'm like, what what a profound thing, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. You said, you know, you hope the companies do it. You don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it either. Do you think anybody bears responsibility for helping people figure out what to do with this stuff? Because I, I think about, like, classes that I would have in school and books I would read versus, like, here's how to navigate the virtual world you're about to spend 80% of your time in. Mm-hmm. And, like, so at what point, like, does this become, like, a thing we actually have to teach formally <laughs> to kids on how to navigate?
0: Yeah, Has has... Progress, technological progress accelerated past our ability to prepare our, our our next generations for it.
3: Yeah, I
1: cringe every time I think about Congress like trying to understand social technology, <laughs> <laughs> like just looking at <laughs> all those all those videos from it. We're just like, why don't you get this? Like, this is like one of the simplest concepts to understand when it comes to. And you're right. just like, Yeah, like you regulating government-regulated technology, like, not great, but, like, at the same time, like, a for-profit company is going to do the things that make it Mm profits, and so you just, like,
0: I don't know. Where does that leave you? I I still love, like, all the senators trying to get, like, tech support from Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) 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 I might watch out of my account. Comedy (laughs) gold. Comedy gold. But, yeah, but they read those laws. (sighs) Well,
1: here's some, and, it's, and it's moving, and the, the technology is moving so quickly. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And you're just like, you can't even, like, get something on the legislative agenda for six months. <laughs> like right. In that time, like, AI is just, like, doubled in compute.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think the way we do it, and uh, I don't know, there's a much better alternative out there. I don't think governance is going to be able to keep up with this. Certainly not the way we do it. Yeah. It's, I think it'll have to be something where, there's a bit of a market effect where I think that the audience like your nieces are probably the best example where they see the negative impact. Someone has compellingly made that clear to them. And so they're making a better choice. And I think, I think that, being a clear communicator about these perils and being, you know, making that clear uh, is is what's going to happen. Being compelling and making a compelling argument for an alternative is what's going to make the case.
1: Yeah. The biggest challenge here is that this technology is addictive. It's designed to be addictive. And it's just like, I know it. I set the screen timer on my phone and I'm just like, I don't follow that. I'm like, oh yeah,
2: go away. (laughs) Well, to be fair, people aren't addicted to VR as much as their phones, right? Right. So, like, yeah. it hasn't caught on yet, and scale. Right. If it was that addictive, if it was that bingeable, I who think would it already will. Be though.
1: And once, like, the VR, like that technology, like gets to the place that it can be, mm-hmm. it's just like all the way in. Mm-hmm. That that's where they're trying to go. That's why it's the metaverse,
2: right? Yeah. That's the goal. Right? So here's the dystopian thing that didn't actually come up much in the comments, but I think deserves an examination which is uh their surveillance aspect okay. mm. so it's like if you are living all your or a lot of your life virtually if you're having those in-person reactions I mean this is assume we're not being recorded as we are now yeah, but like right. you know one of the last places where you can comfortably talk to someone and know that there's no record of it right it's just in person but if we're having most of our interactions through a digital medium you know that it's yeah. all potentially tappable or...
0: It's not just potentially. It's, it's come- 100% why they would set those forums up and make them free is so that they can mine them for data. Mm-hmm. You're trading your data mm-hmm. for access to their software. That's mm-hmm. what Google's business model has been from day one and it's been copied by a lot of these others, especially meta. Mm-hmm. So if you're on Facebook typing, you know, a, a, a chat, with your friend. That is definitely feeding into an algorithm somewhere that lets them know like, this person is interested in this kind of dog food. they you know, their friend is sick. They need these sorts of things. Like all that is being fed into an algorithm and it would be no different uh, in VR, if, except that it would be probably more comprehensive, where they're not just tracking what you say and how you say it, but your eye, where your eyes are looking and how your facial expressions change when the different term, search terms are brought up. It is absolutely going to be used for that, mm-hmm. um, unless you're paying a premium for privacy. Because the only reason I, as a software provider, would have to give you this stuff for free and provide the server time for it, is if I can get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing
3: better than data right now for that. Do y'all actually care about the privacy aspect? Because one of the things about this, at least from a consumer choice standpoint, is that consumers haven't seemed to care. They still, yeah. their preference is to still use the thing. I think by and large,
0: I don't. Um, there are a lot of things where I just don't care about the privacy aspect of mm-hmm. it. There are a few th- very discreet things where I do. Right. Um, and I think... We're probably a bit of an exception in that I probably thought about those, what those might be. Mm-hmm. I think most people just haven't. And we've just gotten accustomed to the convenience of it. But I could be wrong. Maybe more people have put thought into that than I, than I would assume.
2: I, having worked in as a software engineer in my previous life, it was the thing I heard people say, which is that people say they want privacy, but they won't pay a nickel for it. Right. You know, like as soon as you want something and there's a pop-up that says, to do this, you will need to give us all your data, you just click OK you know, yeah. because it's in your way. Yeah. And you know, to be fair, I haven't really, I don't feel like I've really been burned by giving my data away. Like right. what I get a different advertisement that's more targeted to my, what I need. I guess what I would care about, you know, and this is in the very distant future where this, there is this, you know, version of the world where people are in a virtual reality world, you know, 18 hours a day in the same way that I'm on, connected to the internet, you know, 18 hours a day or whatever it is, is that basically like a government, you know, who would, who could monitor my conversations or something right. like that. Like every conversation I had with anyone would effectively be being recorded. And I wouldn't, you know, I mean, now you can commute, you can like chat through encrypted mm-hmm. stuff, but I don't know that that would be the same if, if it's actually just spoken, you know? Right.
0: I'm curious, were there any other questions that the audience had about this or concerns that we hadn't answered?
2: Um, anything else that we, do you think is worth a response? You know, I think it's, it's all stuff that, I mean, you know, people had different, it, it was interesting, a lot of people had similar thoughts to the ones that we voiced. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were like, yay, a theme park with no lines. That sounds awesome, I'll do that. Right. And some of them were like this long of a paragraph about why this is philosophically terrible <laughs> and you are a bad person for doing this video yeah, because right. it's, you know, uh, and all that. Oh, actually, there were one or two other questions. Uh, one is about other technologies that have tried to do this in the past. So mm. Disney Quest, apparently, oh, yeah. mm. was this, like, virtual reality Disney thing mm-hmm. that existed. And it was, I think, it two, it two <laughs> <Yeah>. locations, <laughs> briefly in Chicago, and then they had one at Disney World for a while. Right. Were there any other sort of, you know historical precedents for this that you thought were interesting or
0: I mean so in terms of like creating metaverse stuff I think there's clearly second life Mm -hmm. and a few other things I mean some of the early online communities like Sierra online or AOL were trying to do some sort of skeuomorphism in their interfaces but not VR Mm -hmm. and then of course there have been a couple of different attempts to do VR Mm -hmm. that have been more or less awful (laughs) um and the Disney Quest stuff actually they had VR systems that were you know way ahead of their time and they were one of the first sort of like commercially available but compared to today's technology very clunky by you know just larger headsets and things like that Nintendo also had the the Virtual Boy <laughs> way <laughs> ahead of its time yeah exactly and it you know couldn't do a lot of the things we now would consider part of VR, like moving your head and things like that. You were just basically looking into like a little Nickelodeon scope. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was uh, so it was it was pretty constrained, but there have been some other attempts at this. But it really is like the accelerometers being smaller and cheaper and all the IMUs and stuff from phones making VR headsets so much more affordable and Mm -hmm. that technology much more compact that has made this into something that is at all consumer available. So I'm curious if there's anything that you wanted to dive into deeper than we got a chance to with this episode. Were there topics that we didn't get a chance to explore fully within the scope of this episode?
1: So one of the things that Rick, who's the other Imagineer, old school OG, like has been doing great stuff in the game for a while. One of the things that he talked about that I thought was super interesting was that Disney started as a theme park. It's not an amusement park. Mm-hmm. made that distinction and that there was like a theme to what they were trying to do. And with people's expectations on these really fantastic experiences increasing and the technology being there to make them better and better, I'm curious about a world where you can have like really awesome bars or restaurants. And it's not like you have to go to a few places across the country to have these really awesome experiences, but they can be in your backyard. Disney Land in Orange County just like ended its annual passes because you basically had a bunch of people in Orange County that bought annual passes. And then, like, at, like, 4 o'clock every day would just be like, we're going to just go to the bar. But we're going to go to the bar in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, <laughs> it's amazing. Great move. Which is a great move. Super cool, right? And Disney was like, all right, guys, you're like you got to stop here. We got to just have, like, some of the people that, like, flew in from all over the world to be able to enjoy everything here. But that desire to enjoy community in a really awesome place, is really intriguing. So, Meow Wolf, I think, has been doing like a lot of this mm-hmm. work. Um, even down here in, in downtown LA, uh, there's like a, a Two Bit Circus that is just like a really cool like bar with like all kinds of like virtual experiences that, in games and everything. That's the kind of stuff here that I think would be awesome to experience on a
0: much broader scale. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a deep human need for this. We have always been chasing those immersive experiences yeah you know it's i think a lot of religious and spiritual practices get to this if you want to go like way back into antiquity i think that You know, like, even the idea of, like, a cathedral was built to be a transformative experience for the people who walked into this cathedral. Like, you were entering into this whole other realm. And if it didn't change you, then you never really entered the building in the way that the church wanted you to, right? It was meant to be a different frame of mind. And I think you can look at things like fairs and the original sort of gatherings that we would do, like, they were meant to be these sort of just disconnect from your daily life to pull you out of that reality, Um, And the thing that I really loved that Michael said was as you are in these sorts of things, these experiences and you relate to the people, you start to think more of yourself as the character that's in that world. Yep. And I think that's actually sometimes what people really do need in their life. Yeah. Is that we want to have that idealized version of ourselves and have an opportunity to live up to it and live into that and grow into that skin. And I think that's really like, there's a powerful thing there. And I think there's something magical about that.
1: Well, think about when you're traveling around as a tourist, like a lot of times the place that you're going to is like Koreatown or or like the Italian village or like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to all these places that exist because of a mass migration of a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. But now you're, I think we're going to be able to like really cater some of these neighborhoods to being like, okay, this is going to be the like, Game of Thrones part of the city. <laughs> right, right,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really interesting, the idea of, like, can you have a 1940s part of town? Can yeah. you have a medieval part of town? And and how much of that is physical? How much is augmented reality or VR or things like that?
1: Yeah, the coolest part about Universal Studios right over here in L.A. is, like, the Harry Potter world, right? And you can just, like, walk around and, like, they spent a billion dollars on it to have, like, the right cobblestone. and the, But, like, you go there, you're like the wizardry world. <laughs> this like,
3: is cool. I
0: finally got my Hogwarts
2: This letter. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny. I mean, one, there's, these are books. These are fantasy novels. They inhabit. They, we, we read them, and we tr- sort of inhabit those worlds. And then you go to them physically, and it is a sort of virtual reality, right? It's a recreated false reality. And so, I mean, if you think of VR sort of technology as just on a spectrum of mm-hmm. everything from the written word and storytelling to, you know, holograms, then it's, you know, maybe less unnatural seeming than you might think when you just gut see someone with a VR headset on.
3: Right. Yeah. I think the thing that we actually uh, that I look forward to the most, and the thing that we didn't talk enough about, I feel like in this, and potentially in the episode too, is augmented reality, mm-hmm. which is like you maybe get the best of both worlds right where you can get some of the experiences that you're getting with the VR stuff but you actually have to go out into meat space in order to do it right? right um and that could be really cool and game changing and could make our surrounded and built environment feel wholly new without on, with only having to do a bunch of code right. which could be really cool but i think the other thing that is i'm excited to see is like what is going to be like the game of thrones level cultural event for mm-hmm. this stuff right and how and like what whatever that looks like is going to be fascinating, and it's going to have to be so much better than what we've already experienced. And like I'm excited, I'm excited for that to happen because mm-hmm. that's going to have to be fundamentally cool in order for it to work.
0: Yep. Yeah. With the augmented reality stuff, I think the book uh, "Rainbow's End" by mm-hmm. Werner Vinge is probably to my mind, one of the best explorations of the possibilities of that. There's a lot of really great ideas that he digs into with that, but just the idea of how people can live in the same world physically, but with very parallel ideas of what the overlay is on it Mm. is really compelling. And it creates the opportunity for you to have those real world interactions. But, you know, I live in this very medieval overlay world and you live in this very, you know, um, cartoonish anime world. And you want to have that sort of overlay and we might have the totally we look very differently to each other than we do to ourselves. Right. And I think um, it creates some really fun and interesting possibilities and some some really terrifying echo chamber. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but let's be honest, we, we create the terrifying opportunities no matter what. Like we we're always doing that.
1: Yeah, I, but the ease to which you can do this <laughs> That's and true. ubiquity of it is, I mean, there's literally an episode of Black Mirror about, you know, just having like an AR layer on people's, over people that are unaware of it right. to make them look like evil monsters so right. they can get killed easier. Right. You mm. know, like,
0: what happens when you do that? But but we, we do do that without AR. I mean, we do dehumanize our enemies, and we have been doing that for years. It, so, you know, The like, ease and the scale of this. I understand yeah. the difference, but... I, I it, And I, I agree that it has made this something that's more immediately accessible in a, in a terrifying way. But... Dehumanizing people is something we've done for so long. I mean, maybe as long as we've been talking about other people. Yeah. And the, just the, the word other, right? Yeah. It,
3: there's a version of saying that virtual, like doing that that Black Mirror episode is doing to technology what we already did with like racist ideas. Right. You know, the stereotypes that have been applied to like lots of people, black people specifically, and it's like, and all that stuff. Like you're just doing that in a technological form. Right. right? It's not a crazy argument to be right. made but like the fact that i can do it with a click of a button rather than like having to like be raised in with that ideology yeah it's much easier and much scarier yeah, in that yeah.
1: Way. and it could be also be done by like one person yeah right as opposed to like actually having to get a bunch of people on your side to be like we hate all these people right So <laughs> <laughs> that
0: Sometimes doesn't seem to be working. that terribly difficult either as it turns out <laughs> <laughs> but yes your point is well taken We don't have a lot of specific updates for World Builder. They seem to be working on uh, new projects. Disney seems to be w- working a lot with digital twin technology and a lot of other theme parks seem to be embracing this as well. I think in general, the more general update just seems to be that the technology on this is just steamrolling forward. Yeah. Um, things like the Meta Quest 2 are well-established in the market. Now they have the Pro, which does a lot of like eye tracking and face tracking and all these things that allow you to sort of have more natural interactions. and also a lot more data for them. And it definitely seems like it's something that's gonna, gonna eventually find its market. They're, they're just throwing so much money at this. It's hard to imagine that it wouldn't. I am really curious
2: about what the meanest comments were. We had, this is bullshit. If it's not real, I don't want it. <laughs> um, we had, go outside. That was upvoted six times. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a tremendous irony to both of those things that they're comments on a YouTube video. <laughs> well, this one notes that it was shouted to his secretary as he was... Uh, <laughs> as, he was as he was hiking through the house. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people brought up science fiction stuff. Ready Player One, right. uh, The Matrix, we're all going to get just downloaded into this thing and that's how we're going to live. And... Um, and to be clear,
0: as much as I don't want to give into the pessimism of that, I actually do think that is a legitimate
2: fear. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I do think that is something we need to be cautious of. For sure. I think, I think it's a legitimate point. I think, it, you know, about these things, sometimes it's more of an art than a science, you know? Even if we have precedents for all sorts of technologies and all sorts of ways to relate to each other, sometimes it's just a matter of, is this mixed up together in a way that's unhealthy or healthy, you right. know? Uh, This is just the last one, but it hasn't come up yet. Really, flying to Bali, what an ignorant thing to say. Flying or Bali or any exotic. Location is a culture experience. You interact with people, and you hear a different language and eat different foods, and you literally come back a different person with much more appreciation for things you didn't uh, know existed. Visiting other countries can be some of the most enriching, unforgettable experiences one can have. And this dude literally equated that to going to the virtual version of Bali, L-M-F-A-O, period. Wow. That
3: person probably went to Bali and had a life-changing <laughs> it experience really, and is mad that yeah.
2: you belated it. Literally came back a different
3: person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like actual different atoms and everything. Yeah.
0: But but let's, I mean, I'm glad for that person, but not everyone can afford to do that. And yeah. so maybe this would be nice to be able to see some other things. <laughs> but I'm glad that person had that
3: experience. I mean, I am
1: curious to hear more and more stories about people having those kinds of life-changing experiences in VR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has to exist.
2: Yeah. And again, it's like, you know, something I thought about this is like, I live near Disneyland. I don't go there every weekend. Maybe I've been once, you know? But like, if I could have a virtual experience that was just fun, that was 50% of Disneyland without lines for free, you know, or a lower cost. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that seems like a positive thing, not a negative thing. Yeah, yeah. And
0: like, like similar uh, on the flip side of it, I have a VR headset in my house. I use it like three times a year. (laughs) And I think partially because I don't have a lot of time. uh, I think another is just I haven't figured it out yet. Well, thanks everyone for watching. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hard Reset Podcast. If you haven't already, please go check out the original episode of Hard Reset, where we talked about VR, VR theme parks, and World Builder. We're really looking forward to hearing your thoughts, not just about that episode, but about this podcast, and if there's anything else we missed. Please like and subscribe so we can keep sharing this series with you. We really want to keep diving into these issues and answering the questions you have for us. Smile. That's that's a smile. <laughs> <laughs>